Hi, and welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week, we're going to be talking about mm, the culture around weight loss. Yeah. Uh, debunking some of the myths, the holier-than-thou bullshit, and getting to what actually works, both for people who are looking to lose weight and also the people around them who want to support those people. Because, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there fall into one of those two camps. Um, so, but first, before we get to that, Sarah, what you eating and what's eating you? Matthew, speaking of uh, accidental diet food, um, I made this recipe that my friend Sean Turner gave me, uh, and it's these chicken breasts, which like, I'm a thigh girl all day, mm-hmm. but it's chicken breasts with a mixture that's basically uh, spinach and artic- artichoke dip minus the artichokes, and okay. frankly, you could just leave them shits in there, yeah. but you butterfly the breast, stuff this like cheese mixture in there, and then like sear it and then bake it off. Surprisingly delicious, like, and Hell you can- yeah. You can make like this filling and then just like keep it in the freezer and then pop it out stuff in the chicken breast. Like you're good to go. It's actually quite delicious. I would recommend pesto, sun-dried tomatoes, something acidic or something on top. Ooh, I love that idea. That sounds absolutely awesome. And like I am also a dark meat kind of person. It's just the superior part of the chicken. It just is. And also the most economical that if you buy the leg and, uh, the leg and thigh quarters – it remains the cheapest way to buy it. Not the separated legs and thighs, but the legs yep. and thighs together. Um, so if any of you who are worrying about increasing uh, prices for, for meat, I'm just saying leg and thigh quarters, I still see for like barely a dollar a pound. Like it's insane yeah. how cheap they are. And you could look up a lot of really cool tutorials about how to bone out. Like if you want to make your own, like I just find this stuff incredibly empowering that you're not always stuck being dependent on a grocery store but you can find some really cool tutorials about how to bone out chicken quarters and get some sweet knife skills out of it too hell yeah and like good knives are surprisingly cheap and it's one of those things where uh you can get good knives and then like a 15 dollar like home sharpener or something and then yep. you're set basically forever on your on your knife and can i um, um yeah can i be a blade snob for a second and lay Please? some blade snob knowledge uh so uh, if you're searching for a super fancy, you know, two grit, uh, Japanese whetstone, cool. They're great. I have one and I love it, but also grab a ceramic plate, flip it over. You'll find the, uh, unglazed little foot on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then you can hone that blade and get it super, super nice and sharp, uh, by using the little rim of that ceramic plate. That is genius. How is that not like a life hack <laughs> on TikTok yet? They don't want you to know. Yeah, it's, the one it's trick pro- that the knife companies don't want you to know. It's, it's propped up by Big Whetstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, and I have to say, getting really good at knife skills is also like super sexy. That, oh my God, yeah. yes. Like yeah. 30% of all the um, attraction I've ever had to a drunk line cook was to watching them debone a chicken. So there's this great anime called Shokugeki no Soma. It's called, or Food Wars. <laughs> Incredible. It's basically a battle anime, except it takes place in a cooking school. So all of their <laughs> battles are over food. Awesome. And one of the things, well, first of all, because it's Japanese and funny, like good food makes people super horny and their clothes explode off. Oh, well, that's that's exactly how it works, actually. Yeah. That's how uh, every um, 
middle-aged, drunken chef has ever banged the hostess, at exactly. the 24-year-old hostess. Exactly. So, um, but one of the fun things that they show are the exquisite knife skills and like all the techniques. They actually give a surprising amount of technical uh, cooking knowledge, um, which I think is super cool. So any of Fuck you who yeah. are looking to combine your love of food and your love of anime and horniness, because we know who you are. Uh, <laughs> Shokugeki no Soma, or otherwise known as Food Wars. You can find it online. It starts a little slow, but it's also completed. So it has many, many seasons and it gets better and more insane as it goes on. So awesome. just give the first, just roll with the first three or four episodes until they get into the real meat of the show. No pun intended. Um, and then from there on, it'll just it'll just be amazing. That sounds like right where I'm trying to be, right? It's like in that like chef's table, um, Contro. Have you ever seen Contro, the, the Sweet Tooth Salaryman? Of course. Yeah, it's, that's truly yeah. one of the funniest, goofiest pieces of TV that delights me when I'm down. Yeah. Basically, Asia just does funny representations of food culture better than anybody, anybody, you know? There was one, I missed this, Uh, it's no longer up, but there was this great exhibit that was just like uh, anime and manga food. Yes! (laughs) The most delicious looking anime and manga food. Fuck yeah. There were some restaurants who were then making like their own versions of those. Yeah. Anyway. Incredible. Yeah. You can, maybe that's like a dinner party idea. Everyone chooses (gasps) or gets assigned an anime food thing or a movie food thing Uh! to make and bring. Fuck yes. Oh yes. Oh, some create dishes from the spirited away table. Oh. Mm. So <laughs> my, I, I'm going to go on this theme that there's this, uh, I'm going to go a little French. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to continue on the food porn train that there's this great movie called Babette's Feast. Um, I know I've seen this. I know I've seen this. Yep. It's about this woman, Babette, who just winds up on this, uh, mysteriously winds up on uh, a very tiny village in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the people who have lived there um, are like their little communities falling apart. They're older people and all of their uh, past slights, grudges are like tearing them apart when they should be in the happiest times of their lives. So I'm no, there's a spoiler alert, but honestly the plot is sort of irrelevant because this is movies (laughs) really about the food. Babette turns out to be a chef who's sort of lost her zest uh, for cooking and has gone like to this island to try to get isolation, get herself reset. And she wins the lottery. Incredible. And she decides, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a feast for this entire tiny little village. So then these boatloads of food, uh, of ridiculous food stuff start arriving via rowboat. Um, And... uh, the power of food. She cooks all this amazing French food, the power of food then heals the community. And then she leaves and they're just like, wait, she's like, why are you leaving? She's like, well, I'm out of money. And they're like, didn't you win the, uh, didn't you win (laughs) the lottery? She's like, yeah. And I spent it all on that meal, (laughs) but don't worry. I like, I love food again. I'm going to go back to my restaurant. (laughs) Come visit me. Pay me, pay me, bitch. Is what she said. Yeah. Uh, But you can, Fuck all the rest of the movie if you just want to watch the scene with all the food and see all this classical French cuisine uh, brought to astonishing, vivid, and beautiful life. Um, it's a way to enjoy something like a turtle soup without actually killing a turtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of food, Matt, we're here. We are gathered here today to tackle. Uh, wait, real quick. I do want to define a, like one very specific term here, which is diet sure. culture, which is something that I'm going to say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we say diet culture, what we're talking about is the cultural presumption that being smaller is better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And you can, you can ascribe all kinds of definitions to better. Healthier, like more, I, I mean take your pick, right? Like, um, so I'm going to be referring to diet culture all the time during this episode. And I just wanted to say that out loud, the, the, uh, sort of going societal concept that, that bigger people should always be trying to get smaller and that it's, and that smaller is always the most morally and healthy health, um, superior health outcome, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So, I'm going to start. Can I, can I start with a little story? Please, please. So, you know, I love, uh, I'm, I was born in Korea. I am not a wayfish, tiny Korean man. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) I have, as I've gotten older, thickened up quite a bit. So I do not match like the Korean beauty standards that you see of the K-pop stars. So there's this great movie called Train to Busan. One of the Mm -hmm. best zombie movies ever made. Yep. And there's a uh, actor in it whose his name's Ma Dong Suk, and um, he is built like a Brit house, like mm-hmm. he is a giant wall of a man. And what I was exposed to in reading about this, and then going on Reddit and various other places, are the insane number of both men and women who view this giant hulking beast of a man as their ideal body type. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I'm just going to say to everyone out there is that there are cultural presumptions about what you should look like. But let me tell you, no matter who you are and what you look like, there is someone or many someones out there who like, I think, what did you say? You told me once that like, uh, uh, whatever thing you hate most about yourself, just put it into like, a porn search and then oh. they're just people who that's their favorite thing. Absolutely. There are, there is like, um, like there is a particular fetish. So, uh, they call it apron belly or panicula is the, but like, uh, the sort of body type where you have a little belly that kind of laps over the top. Mm-hmm. There is a fetish community that is so horny. They just trade pictures of just that part of women. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I'm like, I'm not even, I, I, I didn't want to make that sound like a joke, like at all. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying that there are, there, I, I know so many women who stand in front of the mirror naked and just squeeze parts of them. That mm-hmm. part that you're squeezing, someone wants to smush it up like a little taco and stick their dick in it. If yeah. you're into dicks, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And like, the reason I, I, I personally wanted to start there with after what you said about diet culture is that I want to make it clear that this is a very particular part of like mainstream culture and broader uh, society. It in yeah. no way encompasses what people's actual desires um, yeah. and like internal feeling are. That person may never admit openly or publicly that that's their thing. Right. Ugh. Ugh. Everyone who's ever been a slightly larger than average girl has been through the heartache of dealing with insecure men. It is torture. Like, 
There is nothing, there is no worse feeling. And and I think this probably is universal to like everybody who doesn't fit like a standard, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like, um, and you can, you know, people experience this in all different shades, but that feeling of like, yeah, I'm really, really horny for you. And I really like, you know, I really like you, but I'm too embarrassed by X, Y, or Z thing to like, you know, claim you, right? Which is a whole situation. Dump them, dump them. And when we talk about like, one of the things that I'm going to probably like just stay pissed about diet culture wise, like one of my like great grudges in life is that this insistence on being smaller, right? Like this, there's this real like hyper body awareness that I and anybody who's ever been in a big body for long or short periods of time have that like people who've never struggled with their weight don't have. And you're, it's like having an earbud in all the time with someone whispering, like, you know, sit up straight, you know, suck your stomach in, like pull your, are your clothes sticking to you? You Better put your clothes away from your body. Like, and you're part of me. I mean, you, you go through so much to rip that earbud out and throw it away. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and what's really frustrating, I think from my end is seeing people take on Herculean and self-torturing weight loss efforts because all they want to do is take the earbud out and you can do that without dieting. I want, I want, uh, that's, I, that, I love that. I want to make this clear that like, so there are things or self-criticisms that we hear in our own minds that sound like our own voices. Yeah. But the original thought was not one that we had. It was not our idea, right? Yep. That when you're five years old and you're just like running around, right? You are not thinking about media representations of your gender, <laughs> right? You're just yeah. running around. It is only through the people around you telling you things about how your body yeah. should be. And so while it may have started in their voice over time and repetition, it starts being internalized so that you hear it in your own voice. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. And I think that's what you're saying is that like recognizing you can't like stop hearing that it will always come up. Yeah. But recognizing that just because it sounds like it's your own thought doesn't actually mean that it's your thought and it mm. doesn't mean that it's true. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, who like in my family, the women like my mom has a, I think, a very healthy relationship with food. I've never once heard her call herself fat, like never heard her denigrate herself based on her weight. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, in fact, quite the opposite. There are times where we went on vacations and someone asked my mom, they're like, oh, like, how does how was San Francisco? My mom was like, it was amazing. I gained 11 pounds in seven <laughs> days. Like, I am so proud of the amount of like the sheer volume of delicious food that we took down over seven days. Mm-hmm. And uh it was my dad. My dad is the person who has like, and I think a lot of men think Mm. I I just, I encounter so much negative body and self-talk from men that is sort of passed off as just like normal cultural dude stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe this is, this is just to say if you're out there and you're a dad and you're having whatever gender of child, like, all kids notice the way all of our parents talk about their bodies and themselves. Right. And it's like profoundly informative of how you think of yourself. And, uh, my dad's dad bullied him about his weight, you know, like the, um, I don't know. I, I just find that there's a lot more, like, for example, as I get more into this fitness space, you know, you follow these influencers and you find these influencers. And I find that all these like 
Male fitness influencers often describe a relationship with food that fits all the clinical definitions yeah. of disordered eating. Yes. Right? Yes. Can we can we talk about a little bit about um what like a healthy relationship to your body looks like versus like this sort of unhealthy relationship to your body? Like to you, what like if if someone's talking about their goals, right, for their body, like what is a healthy way to express that? You know, uh, I would probably actually express it as the capacity to trust your body and to trust your feelings. So, so your appetite and your hunger and satiety signals. And um, when you grow up fat or when you just grow up, like, you know, anybody who's exposed to diet culture, right? Like you're the one thing that's never said is like, well, just eat when you're hungry, eat whatever you want and just stop when you're full. Right. Mm -hmm. Which like obviously is, has some holes in it given the quality of food being produced. But um, yeah, I mean, how would you define that, Matt? Like I, I think of it in terms of just like a whole physical, emotional, mm -hmm. mental sort of thing. I view it from an athlete's point of view insofar mm -hmm. that I view my, my health level or how I feel about my body based on its functionality. Yeah. Which is a moving target. But like, for example, when I did soccer, I didn't have weight goals. I had function goals. Like, yep. can I run at this level of exertion at this speed for this amount of time? Can I improve my, um, with like measures of explosiveness? Can I slightly increase the amount of time, uh, decrease the amount of time it takes me to make these kinds of turns or these kinds of movements, right? Um, can I run for a full, uh, full 90 minutes without getting absolutely blasted? Right. Yeah. Um, do I have the leg strength to be able to hit the ball in this specific way? And yes. one thing that increased strength lets you do is put less effort into striking it. So you actually get more precision. The increased strength means that you put more, uh, uh, you can put more effort into placement than you yes. do into power. So I always thought of it that way. I was never really monitoring my exact weight. It was measuring like the outputs and then figuring out what I would need to do to build up my body's capacity to get to where I wanted to go. And like food was the fuel to get there. Yeah. So there was no, the eating wasn't disordered. In fact, it was, it was part of the entire process. And so there was no guilt about eating food. It was just like, <laughs> I eat. I eat this much protein, this, these sort of things, because that's what I'm going to need to get to where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even as an adult now, like I still have, I still have goals. My function goals are very, very different um, than they used to be. But a lot of my functionality is based on like, do I have the strength? Like if I needed to carry my dog or like carry uh, an, my un an unconscious loved one out of an emergency, do I have the yeah. cardiac and uh, strength to to carry this person for that amount of time. Yeah. If so, great. How can I increase that capacity, right? My carrying capacity and duration. If not, what do I need to do to get there? And then figuring out sort of where my realistic maximums are and then yeah. trying to maintain that level as best I can. Which like you said, like that is an athlete's perspective on exercise and training, right? Which is like you have a kind of functional goal that you're moving towards. And if I could like go back in time and murder anybody, like, you know, the two bullets for Hitler, you know, it'd be like one bullet for Hitler, one bullet for whoever came up with the calories in calories out myth. Yeah. <laughs> um, because so all of this just uh, read, go to your library, order it, whatever, listen to it, 
The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. I'll repeat this all the time. It's my current drum that I'll bang forever. It literally freed me from a lifetime of yo-yo dieting and gaining and losing the same 25 or 30 pounds my entire life. My entire fucking adult life has been battling with this little bit of weight and crash dieting. And and all of this is to say that we have been as a whole Western society sort of functioning on a completely false, or I should say like incomplete uh, picture of how the actual metabolism works. Right. And um, it's really harmed people. Like if I don't laugh about it, I'll like scream and rip out all my hair and burn down several large public buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, but like calories in calories out is a myth. So let, let's talk about that because this is very popular as a model yeah. online. I'm yeah. going to call it CICO from now yeah. on, C-I-C-O, calories in, yeah. calories out. So the basic CICO model is very straightforward mathematical. If yeah. I eat 100 uh, calories of food, I then need to perform a certain amount of exercise or effort to burn that 100 calories. And it's yes. treated as if these are standard units of measurement in both directions that are the same for everyone, that there is some mathematical way to determine it. So why does the SECO model fall apart, Sarah? The SECO model falls apart. And and this is, you can find all this information on YouTube if you search Dr. Jason Fung and put in the calorie myth, which is mm-hmm. exactly how I got into this because I was like, son of a bitch. Yep. Um, food is hormonal. So when we eat things, like the whole point of like flavors is to tell your brain, to tell your body, this is the food that's about to come down there. So you yep. need to get all this stuff ready to go, right? Mm-hmm. So when we eat sugar, for example, like I, people will say, you know, I can't, I see a bowl of candy at the office and I can't control myself. And, you know, it's like, it is, what is candy? It's colorful. It's very sweet. So in nature, think about if you were a caveman, right? Mm -hmm. Like your body doesn't have a calorimeter on it, right? Like it doesn't (laughs) have like a ticker that's like going up. How would your body count fucking calories? Yep. Mostly we lived and our bodies evolved in a state of extreme food insecurity where we were uh, for way before agriculture, we were gatherers, hunters and gatherers. And if you came across a natural source of ripe sugar, which is also probably full of water soluble vitamins, which are Mm -hmm. also in pretty low supply in nature uh, for temperate climates, you would eat all the berries off of the bush you could fit into your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. If you had a group that you were feeding, you would pick all the berries, you would go and get some friends and then you would pick Mm -hmm. every single berry off the bush that you possibly could. And then you would eat it, dry it, preserve it in some way or another because it was fucking there. You got to get all that you can because it's there. Yeah. And you might make a note of where that bush is. So you'll check again every now and again to see if there's more fruit. Exactly right. And and it's not like, do you think, and as someone in a gatherer society is like, I've gone over my BMI caloric (laughs) uh, limit today. Like, The point being that like fat loss and gain has a very functional and protective purpose as well. So when they're, uh, when you are eating, um, certain kinds of calories set off certain other hormones, it's in the book, read the fucking book, the obesity code. Um, for example, obviously you eat sugar, your insulin rises. Insulin Mm -hmm. is a storage signaler and, Um, By the way, Dr. Jason Fong works with diabetes patients, like all of his clients are diabetic. So like this is functional medicine that he got people off of medication with. Like, um, so for example, then when you eat like protein, you get a hormone release called mTOR. 
M capital T O R. I he mm-hmm. it's, it's in the book. Um, but it signals to your body that you have the building blocks to make protein or to make muscle. So it will mm-hmm. uh uh, stimulate muscle growth. So you're, let's say you're killing yourself in the gym. You're going by calories in calories out, right? Yes. You're eating an excess of calories with the thought that your body will convert it into muscle, but the excess calories that you eat are donuts. Let's just say donuts. Yeah. Right. And I want to note here, this is, this is one of the great things showing that, that what Sarah's saying is that calories are not fungible. They're not exactly the same. A, a calorie of donuts sends very signal, different signals to your body than a calorie of say, like, uh, lean chicken. Correct. Right. right. So you get all these signals, you get all these insulin signals, mm-hmm. so storage signals. So your body goes into storage mode and you are whipping your own ass at the gym. You are so sore every day. You are just lactic acid made yeah. man, right? Yes. And you're wondering why you're not getting those gains because to you, this should be a simple caloric problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, or worse, you're trying to lose weight and you're like, you know, I have a 1200 calorie limit every six, every two hours, I'm going to eat, you know, I don't know, 300 calories or something, yes. right? Like, and you're eating it as a zone bar full of mm-hmm. sugar mm-hmm. five times a day you bump up your storage ho- hormone. Now, what else are you? You're so hungry. You yes. are, oh my God, so hungry. You can't think. You might be cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, those are those were the two things that I noticed when I was doing starvation diets. I was cold all the time and I couldn't think. Yes, and you're not losing weight. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Truly, the fuck is going on here? Because mm-hmm. you are working off of the calories in, calories out mentality. This should be working. You should be in a 800 to, you know, 1,000 calorie deficit. You mm-hmm. should be losing a pound every three to five days. Like, mm-hmm. mathematically, calories in, calories out. And let me tell you, as a person who spent multiple periods of my life waking up in the morning and drinking a sugar-free Red Bull and eating his own bar, not eating anything all day, and yep. then eating some other bread-based bullshit and being and not losing a fucking pound... That is why calories in, calories out doesn't work. And if you're like me, you were on this treadmill, no pun intended, your whole life feeling like you were strapped to it and could never not be dragged by the belt. Mm -hmm. And can I also ask you, so like we're talking about both the input and the output, like the number of calories in the things that you're eating and the number of calories you're burning. Obviously, everyone has a baseline metabolism and then... Uh, you then have uh, additional work that you do, exercise, other types of exertion. So we talked about the differences between a calorie of meat versus a lean protein versus like a calorie of sugar, right? But what are the differences both for the way that someone, like the difference between a calorie for you and a calorie for me, and then like the same amount of working out. Are those things different as well? Or do those stay constant between people? I mean, think about it, right? Like think about your body composition and my body composition. Like this is, this is like the calories thing makes no fucking sense to me because we have so much variation in our calorie consumption day to day, Mm -hmm. our bodies calorie burn, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so on a day that I sit here and I just do computer work and I'm mostly thinking all day, like Mm -hmm. eh, not burning as many calories as if I'm out tilling my wildflower field. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as an example, so my partner is exactly my height. I've got a little less than 20 pounds on him. Um, and he is, uh, my man's lean and he is muscly. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I bet he eats, mm, I bet he could eat 2000 more calories than I can in a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen him eat 
an insane amount of food. Like, like to give you an idea, I eat about two and a half to three times more than my partner. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I have eaten a quarter of a small pan of tiramisu and he ate the other three quarters of yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, because he's full of lean muscle mass and lean muscle mass consumes more calories just to maintain itself, just to yes. like exist. Lean just muscle to mass. not change at all, just, <laughs> <laughs> just to survive. Yeah. And you find that people like uh, my friend Melissa from college who her body weight has not changed. Um, but she got really into working out and her body composition has ah. fundamentally changed. Yeah. Um, and the way she talks about the way it affects your metabolism, your mood, um, especially your hunger regulation. Um, and she has changed her diet. You know, she's got an athlete's diet and now she's exactly the same size, mm-hmm. but has an athlete's banging ass body. Like, so I, w- I want to say this, like, that is so true. So this is another reason why staring at the scale is like completely pointless Yeah, that um, coming in at the, at a weight doesn't tell you anything about what's in the bag, just how much mass is in the bag, right? Bag being our bodies. Right. (laughs) So like if I came in, so when I played soccer, my playing weight was around 135, Mm -hmm. right? But 135 on me, soccer player, five foot nine, five foot ten, right, looks very different and performs very differently than 135 on a guy who's six foot two. Yep. Right. And so the key there was not the weight. It was like I would see when I could hit my goals, when I when I was at peak performance, that's how much my body weighed with a certain mix of lean muscle, fat, hydration, all those things. So the goal wasn't the weight. The weight was just like, gave me an idea of where I was in that. Um, But like the key was, it gave me an idea, like if an, like during the season I lose weight. Right. So if I started losing weight, it told me I wasn't consuming enough calories because I knew roughly what I was exerting on the day to day. So I needed to make sure that I increased my caloric intake. And similarly, if I started gaining weight, right, it meant it meant one of two things. Either I was I was maturing because as you get older, as a man, you can put on more muscle. Yeah. And or second, uh, that I was either consuming too many calories or not doing enough cardio. Yep. Right. So But over time, that weight, as if I had continued playing soccer, would have changed. My playing mate would have gone from 135 to 140 and then from 140 to 150. And by the end of my career, my playing weight might be 160. It didn't mean I was less fit, right? It just meant an older man's body, right, is going to be thicker, more muscular and less flexible. And therefore, I'm going to have more muscle in there. Um, which then actually decreases your cardio because muscle burns oxygen. So like, I just want to, the, the, the reason I, I'm bringing this up is that like weight is the worst, is like just an incredibly blunt instrument to try to measure your health level, your healthiness. Say level. it. Yes. Yeah. This is why I personally focus on functionality. Like I want to know what my body can do. And like, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a, for instance, like, you know, I, one thing that I really want to be able to do is, um, be able to like roughhouse with, with kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
I can measure that when I play with dogs, when I play with children, like how much can I do? And like, what's happening first? Am I running out of breath? Like, am I feeling lactic acid buildup? Like, yeah. which one of these signals is the actual limiting factor? Yeah. And then just start incrementally in, uh, increasing the amount of that activity that I do over time. So I, if I have lactic acid buildup, I need to do more, more strength training. And then also make my strength uh, rep workouts longer, possibly with less weight, um, but more of them. Or if I'm getting short of breath, then I need to work in my cardio. So I need to start bumping that up. This is what I mean. At no point am I standing on a scale and saying, this tells me anything. Yeah, I was going to say, your your point before about gaining and losing weight relative to your activity is really, I love that. So, you know, by the way, if I've noticed anything, and I wrote a whole article about weight discrimination for IndieMaven.com, you can look that up, but um, in the process of uh, researching this article, I found that fat bias is one of the singularly most resistant to exposure. So mm-hmm. uh, racial bias, transphobic bio, uh, um, bias, homophobic bias can all be significantly improved through sheer exposure. So having a gay coworker, having a gay family member, a trans family member, whatever, uh, you can live with a fat person. You can live side by side. You can see every single meal that they eat, every step that they take on their little step counter, you know what I mean? And still say like, well, they must be eating candy bars in their room that I don't know about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and um, uh, weight bias is also the ceiling for where it starts punishing the two, the, the two genders as the binary recognizes it in society, mm-hmm. I should say. Uh, for women... You start seeing um, a difference in uh, uh, professional advancement, in professional opportunities and pay raises at a BMI of 27, which is in the overweight, right? It's just overweight. Men don't see um, uh, a difference in their income or opportunities until they're in the 30s, which is Mm -hmm. medically obese. So, yes, gender discrimination uh, does play a part in the weight discrimination. The hammer, as usual, comes down much harder on women. And then, of course, you can go down the, the list of intersectionalities there and know that. So, for example, um, the right wing uh, nut jobs love to use the term, and I'm quoting now, fat black lesbian as their like one of their favorite insults. And it's just like... you know, it's an arrow through, right? Like every single, like the worst kind of person you can be, right? Is like not interested in men and fat and brown skinned. Um, So I I say that just because when we talk about fat phobia, medical fat phobia kills people. So like Mm -hmm. um, doctors are given about as much nutrition info as they're given about teeth. And if you ever ask a doctor about your teeth, they'll say, I don't, I have no, I don't know anything about teeth. And yet mm-hmm. if you ask them about their, about a diet, they'll be like, well, you need to eat 1200 calories of lean <laughs> meats and medical fat phobia. Um, let me, so when I was 17, I got my gallbladder out. It was a terrible surgery. It was complicated. I was really sick. And, uh, my stomach was not expanding. And so every time that I would eat more than like a tablespoon or two of food, I would throw up. Mm. Um, and I went to the doctor and my mom said like, my daughter can't eat. Like she just mm-hmm. can't get food down. And I'm 17 years old. I'm recovering from a complicated surgery. And he says, well, it wouldn't be the worst thing for her not to eat for a while. He Fuck. says this to me in front of my mother um, about 
a child about an underage shit. child who's recovering. Um, yeah. This is my surgeon. So when I say like fat phobia, along with getting people bullied um, and, and along with when we're talking about like weight as a blunt instrument of health measurement. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're talking about. Right. Which like this doctor looked at a I mean, when I say overweight, I'm talking like uh, 25 pounds, like mm-hmm. I'm five foot eight, like 25 pounds, pretty well distributed. Yep. Um, and this is like, this is me as a child. It caused a permanent distrust of the medical uh, industry. And yeah. you'll hear stories all the time about women being told, women specifically going to the doctor and being told that they need to lose weight. They don't have like a real health problem. They're just fat. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and And to your point about it being a blunt measurement, like in the same way that if one of your friends suddenly lost 40 pounds in two months and you would want to take them to the doctor, right? Like you would be gravely concerned for their health. If someone gains 40 pounds in two months, they're met with disgust. They're met with, you know, uh, you let yourself go. Like why, you know, I, I personally have found that like, weight can be a great measurement of like when you let your lifestyle slip, for example, mm-hmm. like, um, but we're talking significant changes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what and, I mean. Blunt instrument that if you're there whipping yourself, cause you're two pounds heavier than you were a month ago, like that tells you literally nothing. Yes. And also if you're, you know, the scale, the reason that the scale can be such a detrimental harm, um, is, as you lose fat, a really interesting process happens, uh, which which I call the swell and shrink. But mm-hmm. it's where as your body burns up and turns your fat into ketones, um, sometimes it will absorb some of the water from your body mm-hmm. and or you'll get really thirsty. Same thing if you eat a lot of salt, um, like uh, uh, same thing if you eat like a lot of carbs, people wake up the day after Thanksgiving with this piss poor understanding of how the metabolism works and really think that they've gained seven pounds. You know what I mean? (laughs) Not that they've eaten a teaspoon of table salt and that they've gained seven pounds of, or seven pints of water, pints a pound the world around. Remember that that's another Kathy Merlism. And you're going to pee it out in no time. That's exactly right. And same thing that when people do the keto diet and they think it's magically wonderfully successful, when your body stores, let's do more metabolism science. I love this shit. Um, When your body, uh, it doesn't, your body doesn't send insulin to make sugar directly into fat. First, it must become glycogen, which hangs out in your liver. Uh, It's the reason why, um, you know, have you ever heard the term bonking? Uh, No. Distance athletes will call it bonking. Um, but it's where you sort of hit this wall and it's usually when you run out of your glycogen and that switch over to the ketosis process is shitty. Um, but so part of breaking those glycogen molecules apart and getting that glucose is you end up with a water molecule left over. So you go through your first 10 days of keto, you're eating no carbs, all your glycogen's like moving out. And you're like, I lost 10 pounds in my yeah. first week. You lost 10 pounds of wa- pints of water and your clothes will fit differently, but yes. it's not permanent. It's not permanent. And that's what a yeah. lot of these crash diets really depend on is you burn up your glycogen, you piss off 10 pounds of water and you're like, it's a miracle. I did it. <laughs> also, you want glycogen stores yeah. um, because you need them to do, for as you said, endurance related things. Yeah. Um, so there's a reason why athletes carbo load the day before an event, 
This is for people who do any sort of uh, endurance athletics. So this is why, for example, like, you know, soccer players, marathon runners will have just enormous amount of like pasta, things like that, Mm -hmm. um, while they, uh, the day before, because it takes some time to convert it into glycogen. And that way your body has stores of energy to draw on while you're running around like a maniac for a couple hours, <laughs> right? Because if you don't have that, then 60 minutes in, you will feel like all your limbs weigh a million pounds. <laughs> and let's bust the Smith while we're at it too. There's no fat burning zone. This idea nope. that like, so you're always burning a mix of carbs and fat, right? So Uh, The reason that the keto diet works, which I think is really fascinating, um, is uh, you go into a process called ketosis. Ketosis is a natural process by which your body runs out of all carbohydrate fuel and has to dip into your own fat stores. Sometimes it does a process called catabolysis, where it Mm -hmm. might eat up a little bit of your muscle, usually not that much. Um, But uh, in ketosis, which is a process that would probably naturally turn on for temperate climate humans, I would assume that you're running out of most of your stored carbs in the deep winter, right? So we're talking mm-hmm. like right before springtime and your body turns on this process. You start converting your fat molecules into ketones. Your brain uses ketones. Uh, the keto diet also, just in case anybody's curious, um, is uh, medically prescribed to uh, epilepsy patients because the ketones provide a more steady fuel to the brain. And they, for some reason, they lower seizures. Uh, a friend of mine is battling brain cancer and has uh, found it's really helpful with his Uh, function. So, you know, it does have a medical purpose. Um, But they find it's really the reason that it's so helpful for type two diabetics who want to lose weight is you take your insulin essentially offline. So you get no storage signals the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so your body just kind of stays in burn mode, you run out of fuel. And for a while, you really are just burning your ketones off, drink your water, uh, uh, test your piss with piss strips. Um, But, you know, these diets, they do work. But it's not from calories. Um, The really, really interesting thing about the keto diet um, and all high carb, low fat, uh, which is what they call it in like um, like the in Norway and Sweden and those places, Scandinavia. Um, Norwegian would be so mad if they knew I was called Scandinavian. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, the reason that it um, you can actually eat pretty significantly over your, uh, caloric quote unquote, you know, caloric limit, which is when I, which is the first time that I was like, Oh, I think this is bullshit because I am eating 3,500 calories of cheesy cheeseburger patties every day (laughs) and I have lost 30 pounds. So one of you bitches is lying about this. And the thing is, is that the 30 pounds uh, the the 3,500 calories of cheesy cheeseburger patties is also not a sustainable diet. No, no, it was miserable. Yeah. You you crave the feeling of anything hard on your teeth, please. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, you might do that and then be like, "Oh, now I have gout." Like <laughs> Like, well done everyone. This this is this is not an improvement. And like there's a reason why athletes don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? So the class. So, if you look at different athletes and the way that their bodies change after they retire, um, is that so? Like people who in who do sports with weight classes. So, if you see with like MMA fighters, boxers, they're constantly cutting weight, uh-huh. and the way they cut weight is by dehydrating themselves. It's miserable. It's so yeah. miserable. So, you might see a boxer come in 
you know, and weigh 135 because that's the limit for their fight. And then they will rehydrate over the next 48 hours, the day before the actual fight, and eat a fuck ton of carbs too. And they weighed in at 135, but they're actually fighting at 150. Yes, that much. You really, I mean, really, like 15 pints of fluid. Yeah. There are some boxers who rehydrate over 20 pounds. Yeah. Um, And what you notice with a lot of boxers, if you ever want to look at pictures of Ricky Hatton when he was fighting versus Ricky Hatton now, is that Ricky Hatton looks like he ate Ricky Hatton. (laughs) And the reason is, is that his sport did not train him to maintain an effective weight. It trained him to basically have an eating disorder. Yeah, that's binge eating disorder. Wrestlers, wrestlers will tell you the same thing. So people say like soccer managers, right? Like why do they stay so fit, right? Even as they get older, why are so few soccer managers really fat, right? The reason is, is that soccer trains you to maintain through an active lifestyle and um, and, and uh, consistent eating, a very consistent, healthy weight for you. Yeah. Note it's not artificial. They're not saying everyone needs to weigh 140 pounds to get on the field. It's instead tailored for what is your ideal fitness look like? Yeah. And how do we maintain that? So you model your entire life around learning to maintain peak health yes. for you every single day. So it trains you to be healthy. <laughs> and I can we, can we once again, just give it up for Gen Z, who's like healing my heart in so many ways. But like Gen Z women have, it's become really popular to be a muscular woman, to be like really mm-hmm. strong and powerful. And like, it like makes me feel a little choked up just talking about it right now. But like for that to become trendy is uh, you can't, you can't gain muscle without feeding your body, right? Like you just, mm-hmm. it's not possible. And uh, these women who are making it trendy and popular to be strong are making it trendy and popular to like eat food. And I grew up having, having grown up in the skinny nineties where everything was skinny, 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 skinny all the time. Always got to be like, you know, these, uh, if you had the tiniest bit of shoulder definition, it was like, well, that's a man. Like, why do you want to look like a man? Like I didn't realize we were looking like men now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, then on the flip side, like, so I'm going to brag about my mom some more, but like, she was Mm -hmm. always, she was into weightlifting, uh, way before it was cool. Um, she always did all of our yard work around the house. Like she was just an incredibly was, and she's not dead. She's alive. Uh, she's just in her seventies, but this incredibly physically capable woman. And, oh, this is going to make me cry. The reason that it mattered so much to me is like when you needed my mom to help you with something, she could help you with anything. Mm-hmm. She could help you lift your own ailing mother out of her bed because she was a nurse, right? Like she Mm -hmm. could help you move a couch if you needed to move a couch. And like, I never understood why people would choose to be thin and incapable when you could be a little bit bigger and much more physically capable. And now this is, this is what we're into now, right? We're Mm -hmm. in the era of the physically capable woman. Um, And people are coming at food with a little bit more, like you said, like your sort of athletes, you know, ethos about this. Um, but it is still really frustrating that we still use, for example, the BMI scale, which was created in the 1800s by a skinny white man who was absolutely on um, now at the time uh, over the counter uh, stimulants. Yeah. I mean, BMI is another incredibly blunt instrument. And the reason why they're popular, the weight and BMI, I think is because they're easy and they, they provide a one size fits all solution. Yeah. But like the thing is one size fits all fits no one. Exactly. And like what, health looks like for you will be different than what health looks like 
for anyone else. Yep. And like, I want to make this really clear that like comparing your body to other people, and I think social media really has a distorting factor here, yep. right? What a healthy body looks like for you is going to be incredibly dependent on your body. No yep. one else's. Like you're not eating, you're not exercising, you're not resting for anybody other than your own. So the best anybody can else can give you without working with a professional who like knows your body <laughs> and can help you monitor it and all those things, the best they can give you are just like the bluntest of blunt instruments. Yep. And like, and appearances are not helpful. So like I, I have the great story of like going into doctors and they do all like the, the normal tests and they check my vitals and they're, and I look overweight now. I just yep. do because of the medications I'm on. I carry a lot of extra water Yep. and it's always hilarious and also partially insulting when a doctor is like surprised by how well I do on my fitness <laughs> examinations. <laughs> right. And I have a great doctor now who's just like, you seem like you're in great health. Like keep it up. Like, Oh, oh yeah. You're God. on like these three medications. Yeah. You're going to carry a little extra water. You seem fine. Your heart rate's 55. Your blood pressure is nice and low. Like yep. you, yeah, everything's good. Like, and he, the thing he asked me is, how do you feel? Oh, God bless. God bless. Yeah. Like the perfect question. Like, how do I feel? Right. How does the, my body feel to me? I mean, right? this is, this is all of like diet. This is diet culture recovery, which is like, uh, you know, you grow up being told like, well, you're fat. You need to eat salad. Like, well, some salads are goddamn delicious. Right. But like, mm -hmm. if you're always told that salad is like this like punishment food that you should eat when you really want a burger, then like you never form a positive relationship with salad, even though salad is a morally neutral item, right? Like yeah. it will make you feel different than the burger makes you feel. Yeah. And if you don't want to have burger vibes, then don't eat the burger, but maybe you want to have a little bit of sleepy burger vibes. Cause that thing's yeah. goddamn delicious. So like, so there's a TikToker, like a social media influencer who is famous for her all tropical fruit diet. Yuck. I hate this bitch. Well, she just died of malnutrition. <laughs> and like the sad the thing is that if she had not been rewarded for pushing an insane diet plan, she wouldn't <sighs> have continued doing it. It's because, because the culture's obsession over thinness over all else. Yeah. Right. Um, is what rewarded her to do something that literally killed her. <sighs> um, like, it is so sad. Like she is as much a victim as anyone else because people do what they get rewarded for. And she got rewarded for literally starving herself to death. We're back to a really poor understanding of nutrition. And I say this cause I, learned all this through this one stupid book. Please read it. The Obesity Code, Dr. Jason Fung. Even if you've never struggled with your weight, just please read it. Maybe it'll make you more compassionate and less of a tit at Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that your your nutritional needs, you know, obviously everybody knows about like water-soluble vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins. Um, uh, for example, um, when I started fasting, the thing that made me like really accelerated my weight loss was sprinkling a little bit of salt in my water. Um mm -hmm. And a little bit of salt, uh, just like it's undetectable taste-wise, um, because a big part of the reason why you crave salty foods is your body's trying to replace its electrolytes. Yep. And if you do these raw vegan diets, um, you're going to end up like, you know, not eating any salt. Or, you know, if you, you know, think about like the raw vegan sources of fat, peanut, uh, nuts, seeds, avocado, so whatever. Can I, can I get you on a rant about raw veganism? Of course! So... 
the premise behind a lot of raw veganism, the non-ethical, right, uh, 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 idea behind it is that there are more nutrients in <laughs> unco- in raw food than versus cooked food. No. So I want to make it clear that there are a lot of nutrients in dirt and rocks. <laughs> It doesn't mean that they're in a form your body can actually absorb. There you go. So one of the primary benefits of cooking and the reason why humans throughout essentially the discovery of fire um, have been cooking food is because it does reduce the overall total amount of nutrients in the food. However, it makes the remaining nutrients metabolically accessible. Yes. So your body actually absorbs more of the nutrients overall from the cooked food than from the raw food, your body just poops out most (laughs) of the nutrients in the raw food. So you might be ingesting more (coughs) nutrients overall, but you're absorbing less. Beautifully, beautifully said. Same, same thing with all these influencers that come on here with their fucking athletic greens powder, eat the greens, just eat the greens. Like, just eat, just get um, get a nice big old juicy ham hock. Yeah. Get you some nice vinegar. Make up some collard greens. Get the ribs out. Cook it for a yeah. nice long time. Get the pot liquor going. Like, I'm so tired of this idea of healthy food as punishment. When like a lot of foods, if you need to put a ham hock in the pot to mm-hmm. get a cup of greens in your body, that's a win. Get so- the greens. So, like, for example, let's say you are blanching or you're cooking um, broccoli mm-hmm. and you're worried about the nutrients you're, you, you're losing. Guess what? You can take the broccoli tea. You can take the water that the broccoli was cooked in, add some salt to it and drink it. And it's surprisingly good. Drink that bitch. It's like a warm little thing of soup. It's like people call it broccoli tea. So if you're worried about all that <sighs> stuff, you can literally have it. You can drink the water after you're done and therefore you lose nothing and you get to eat delicious cooked broccoli. Yeah. Um, or, or, and so you can access those nutrients. Or don't. What the fuck, Matt? Uh, I, I'm just saying that like, there, that <laughs> for those of you who are who feel like you need to maximize every fucking nutrient, like that's a way to do it. And like without being a raw vegan and being dumb and not understanding how any of this shit works. So like you also – I love the juicers. Like, I hate them, actually, because, like, you need fiber. Um, I Y'all need fiber. Can I tell just tell a wild story? Just yeah. a wild-ass story. I yeah. knew this guy. He's a real prick. I knew this dude who was kind of overweight, um, and he just, like, as a man, sort of looks like a potato, like a sentient uh-huh. potato. You know what I mean? Just, like, not a lot of shape to the man. So he got it in his mind that he is going to raw juice his way to better health. And so he did. And he never ate another solid meal again. And I was at a wedding where this gentleman was a guest. And um, he, I I also want to say like, when when I'm talking about like insane juicing, like juicing 15 pounds of citrus and then drinking like what would come out to be about a hundred tablespoons of sugar, just like drinking the juice. Um, and he did lose a shit ton of weight and I bet his teeth are like melting. Um, but I went to a wedding where this guy came there and he, he, he feels so morally superior to every other person around him because he does this insane, expensive, incredibly, um, uh, what's what's high labor, uh, diet. He comes mm-hmm. to a wedding and he brings a little cooler with him and Matt's full of juice. 
He brings a oh, cooler God. of juice, and everybody else is eating this delicious Cuban dinner, and he sits there drinking his juice and looking at all of us like he's so much better than us. And he told me that as a vaccinated, overweight person, I was a greater health risk than him as a smaller, unvaccinated person because his smaller body meant he couldn't make as much vac- or, uh, virus. I just, mm-hmm. I find that there's a correlative here with the more draconian that there are two people who are really fucking horrible to fat people. And it is people who have never been fat and people Mm -hmm. who were fat and then lost a bunch of weight through incredibly self-punishing and sort of draconian measures. Um, And uh, anyway. Yeah. So there's actual research on this. Um, So anybody who talks about the juice diets, like you do lose weight. And the reason you do lose weight on them is that you're at a severe calorie deficit. Yep. And the problem is, is that that weight loss is physiologically harmful. Mm -hmm. So they did a study. So researchers in, in 2017 did a study, asked 20 healthy participants to consume only six bottles of juice for three a day for three days. It can claim greens, apples, cucumbers, lemon, cayenne, pepper, and vanilla beans. So over those three days, the participants lost an average of about 3.75 pounds. Mm -hmm. After two weeks later, they had gained back about 1.75 of those pounds. And they did not have, um, and they did not have increased levels of well-being at the end of it. And what they found is that it does cause initial weight loss due to calorie restriction, but they lead to overall weight gain because virtually no one can stay on them. So basically what it does is that it fucks up, well, it fucks up a lot of different parts of the uh, uh, of your body, um, and it doesn't actually do any of the detoxification that people say, oh. right? And like, it can also, it can damage your kidneys depending on what you're, uh, uh, on, on what you're juicing. Um, so basically... The key takeaway is that things like juice diets, um, they um, basically train you to have an eating disorder. Yeah. And I think I want to wrap up with a brief discussion of what a sustainable versus an unsustainable uh, weight loss is, because there are a lot of gimmicks and we've talked about a bunch of them to like get an initial burst of weight loss. Yep. But like you talked about yo-yo dieting, like what for you turned out to be the way to make a lasting change um, in, in in your body? This is what I, this is why I'm like so going hard on this book because it is a morals free scientific dry study and database explainer on how these different hormones and these are feeding studies, overfeeding studies, underfeeding studies. Like uh, when we talk about calorie deficits, um, the book will explain to you why it is impossible to have sustainable long-term like calorie deficit. By that, I mean like the 1200 calorie diets and, and mm-hmm. full disclosure, this book advocates for fasting. I have found that fasting is the easiest thing for me to handle mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish if I had gone back in time and known what I know now, uh, you can't force the entire, like a big changeover in like our metabolic and health education. But I wish that I could have said like, Hey, if you're thinking about your diet, if you're, if all you can think about is the next thing, the next time you can eat this thing that you can't currently eat, Hey, Mm -hmm. this is going to fail. Like you're, if you, 
are spending going to go on a keto diet and you spend all six weeks of a very successful keto diet and you dream about pizza and you think about breadsticks and all you do is like think about like the fact that you want to kind of like cram a potato a raw one in your mouth like lucille ball style on the candy line uh (laughs) that's bad that's bad you're Mm -hmm. in a bad place friend like you're in a bad place please read this book just i'm i know i sound so stupid but like it made me cry because if you've ever been even a little bit overweight, like all diet advice is given to you in this just like, well, if you were just like an overall better person, a morally better mm-hmm. person, you wouldn't be this size. And Dr. Fung is like, shut up. Like, let me sit down. I'm going to tell you about hormones and then you can climb off your fucking high horse. It mm-hmm. is liberating as all fuck. Um, if you're like me, you've done a million diets with the meal prepping and the and you make your own sugar-free ketchup and you do the stupid mm-hmm. cheese tortilla. Kill me! Kill me! Um, instead, I just eat whatever I want and I've changed when I eat and how often I eat. And when I actually eat, I sit down for like a big satisfying meal. Like, not a binge, a satisfying, complete meal that I don't, and then I don't think about it. And I know everybody says this thing is so fucking cliche and I'm so sorry to do it. But like when you let yourself eat whatever you want within reason, like Mm -hmm. food, like ice cream and the candy, it stops having magical powers. And if you've ever been on a diet, you know about the magical powers of the food that you cannot have. Exactly. No food has morality attached to it. (laughs) Yeah. They simply do different things and they perform different functions. The key is finding a mix for you that remains sustainable, that you can eat, drink, consume every single day uh, that gets you to where you want to be. That's it. That if it's something that you have to force yourself, you have to force yourself to do, you're never going to be able to maintain it. Even if the even if the Sisyphean size stone that you feel like you're pushing is like maybe knee high, not like mm-hmm. larger than you are, and the curve is not a thirty degree angle, like if you still feel like you're pushing back against something, then that is going to fail. And I that's it's, it's so easy for me to say on the other side of this, but like <clears throat> growing up a little bit chubby means you. This is a part of your life from you know, kind of your first consciousness. And so the idea of not thinking about losing weight and still losing it is like, probably sounds pretty mind boggling to someone listening to this. And this is why I say, read the book, just get informed about Mm -hmm. how your metabolism and your hormones work, because everything after that is easy. You just actually get to make good and good choices with good information. That's all it is. Yeah, that's it. And just don't go to social media for any information or for any like inspiration or any of that bullshit. It's literally just people um, basically bullshitting each other, offering oversimplified explanations that may work for them. Maybe it does work for them, but that has very, very, very little to do about what's going to work for you. And one thing I wish that there were more of were doctors who were trained in this sort of thing. Oh my God. So I will have, so I will finally be able to uh, go to a weight loss clinic this July after having been on a wait list since September incredible um and the thing is like i have made some changes mostly to my workout schedule that i have uh focused more on making sure that i walk more so uh because that has always been some uh, kind of activity that can give me extra calorie burning without actually changing other things and just that additional 150 to 200 
extra calories burned every day for an entire year means that I will lose a few extra pounds every single year. Perfect. Or counterbalance any additional, or in this case, just make sure I don't gain any more weight. Yep. Right? And so this is the sort of thing where I just make the decision every now and again, not all the time. And I don't have to make the decision uh, when I'm in front of a beautiful plate of food to not eat it. Because there's no way I'm going to go to a restaurant and order something I don't want to eat. There you go. I'm just, I've just said, I don't, I enjoy food too much. So where are the places I can make marginal gains that get to me, get me to where do I, where I want to be? That's it. That's it. That was the whole fucking thing was saying, I'm making sure that I'm walking an additional, you know, half a mile, mile every day. And that's actually pretty easy to do. Yep. And you don't feel like you're pushing back against a heavy stone. Yeah. And like one (laughs) of the things I do is often when I take calls now, I'm a pacer naturally. And I, since I don't work in an office anymore, most of the time, I just let myself pace. And I have, I have paced on a two hour phone call, like over two miles. I was going to say, you might actually, I have one. I have a walking pad. It's under my desk. You might actually get a lot of benefit from it. I just wasn't, I just wasn't paying any attention. I was just wandering around my apartment in loops because that's what I want to do naturally. (laughs) Right. And like, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really helpful. So just making sure I'm doing that, right. Not restricting myself, feeling like I need to be at, at, at a desk has been a huge solution. And <laughs> if you want to know like the effect of that, the oh, I've done the math for me uh, on this sort of thing. It means that I will burn an additional equivalent of over 10 pounds in a year. Perfect. But like, right? that's again, sustainability, yeah. you know? And it's virtual. It, it's basically effortless. It actually requires less effort because instead of saying, I have to be sitting like a serious adult during this uh, during this meeting, my bo- I just say like, you know, I really want to get up and pace. So I'm just going to get up and pace. No one can see me. <laughs> like I'm just on a call. It's fine. And boy, isn't that um, isn't not working in an office instructive and in how uh, detrimental sitting jobs are to your to your overall health? One change I also did was that I realized that at a certain point I had gotten used to sitting while I taught um, and just saying I'm going to stand up the whole time. Yeah. Right? I'll sit if I'm really in pain. Like you know, but most of the time it's easier just to be standing. And Lord knows that's a fuck ton uh, uh, of extra exercise, right? And these are the sorts of changes you can make. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers, gaming YouTubers, literally just added like a little home treadmill. That's exactly what, yeah, that's what yeah. that is. And he just walks on it while he's playing. Super slow. Yeah, super slow. But since he's streaming six hours at a time, he's walking a lot. Yeah. During that period. Or another guy, every time he loses a game, he has to go do uh, 10 pull-ups on a yep. bar. And yep. it's like a thing that uh, he does uh, with his uh, with his audience. So just little things like that. Like every time like – I have a friend who's a programmer. Every time he finds a bug – in college, he used to take a shot. Now he goes <laughs> and he does – every time he finds a bug, I think he does like five push-ups, five sit-ups incredible right or he planks for a minute every time he finds a bug in his code right uh, i have i have a little app on my phone that randomly generates a reminder to squat because if like i'm trying to build up my butt and then you just like squat 10 times and go back to whatever you're doing you exactly know? little things like that i love that that's great and like and also if you want to do distance running um you should just hire someone to wear one of those hilarious inflatable velociraptor suits just chase you around and yeah exactly and uh video it <laughs> so we can see it Please, please send those in. 
real quick, just uh, if this might liberate other people as it did me, um, you your choices that are difficult for you to make uh, food wise, uh, that's a evolutionary adaptation. Mm -hmm. So forgive yourself for wanting Doritos because the caveman version of you, a thousand people removed, uh, wouldn't know fuck all about that. It would just be so stoked that you have a steady supply of food. So there's nothing wrong with you for liking quote unquote junk food. Your body will always crave food that is easier to break down into its most component proportions, right? And processed food is that. There's nothing wrong with you. Please read the obesity code and forgive yourself and just live with better information. You know, it reminds me, Matt, of when the state of Colorado decided to subsidize birth control for uh, teenagers and their teen pregnancy rate went down by 40%, 40%. And this is why I say like, you're not doing anything wrong. No one's doing anything wrong. We're all generally working off of pretty bad information. The obesity code's the best information I've ever found. I would really, really, really recommend everybody go out there and get it. Yep. So I just want to note that you know, Elon Musk has lost uh, 20 some odd billion dollars. <laughs> Sorry. And the cost of uh, of uh, the 4.9 billion meals provided by our public school system every year is 21 billion per year. Beautiful. Great. So, Thanks, Elon. Yeah. So I just want to be really, really, really clear about how easy it would be and how cheap it is for us to reduce things like childhood obesity. And I want you to also think in your life, start with the easiest things first that I used to start with the hardest. Mm -hmm. When I was trying to lose weight for my brother's wedding, I went on a keto diet, blah, 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 blah. It was impossible for me to maintain. It was just, it was like for an event. And then I gained all the weight right back. Yep. No point. Like it was stupid. I shouldn't have done it. But once I took, losing the weight I gained during COVID seriously, the sustainable changes I made with a little bit of extra walking, the pacing, things like not forcing myself to eat foods I don't really like, like mashed potatoes. Like I don't super love mashed potatoes, but I loved mashed cauliflower. So just like swapping that out uh, yeah. instead. Um, though, and then see where that gets you, right? Yeah. And you might be surprised that when you give yourself time when you don't expect overnight results and when you don't beat yourself up about it, you just sort of do the easy stuff first and see what happens. Check in with how you feel in your body. Matters more than anything else. That when I was at my lightest, I was at 110 pounds. This was in my early 20s. I was like 22 playing music and I wanted to get a very certain look. And 110 pounds on a guy who's 5'9 is very, very thin. That's thin. Yeah. I felt terrible (laughs) all the time. I felt sluggish. I couldn't think. I couldn't, I could barely drag myself out of bed. Everything sucked. Everything sucked. And everything around me, the world around me wanted to be like, you you look so great. Like you look amazing. Like model for me. And all I could think about was like, I need to eat a sandwich so goddamn bad. So hungry, right? Yeah. I'm so hungry. I'm so miserable. And if you had to say, if I would trade in my body now for my body then, the answer would be I'd take my body now every single day because my body now feels good to me. Yep. Right. It doesn't look as beautiful on camera, but I don't live in a camera. (laughs) 
Also, oh wait, real quick, let's just get it out here. Don't talk about anyone's weight for any reason. Don't talk about anyone's weight for any reason. If they've lost weight, if they've gained weight, especially though if they've lost weight, because my favorite thing ever is when someone's like, oh my God, you look so skinny. And it's like, yeah, my mom died. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hope, I hope if you decide to comment on someone's weight, anything is a compliment that it's for a really awkward reason. And you have to just sit there in that. Like when but, somebody mentioned I look so thin once, it was like, yeah, I just had a stomach bug and I just shat everywhere for eight yeah, days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have couldn't been, eat. I could only poop. <laughs> if I had laid on my stomach, I would have looked like a water fountain. But thank you so much. Yeah. Um, but don't comment on anyone's weight for any reason at any point. If someone wants to share their weight loss journey with you, let them do that. But but I'm telling you, I'm begging you as a formerly chunky person uh, chunky child. Uh, everyone talks about your weight and your body constantly. So you already think that the first thing people are looking at is your body. And when you confirm that by, by immediately congratulating somebody on their weight loss, who is overweight, like they're like, this is just a continuation of the same narrative, right? It is not a new narrative. This is yes. Once again, your body remains the most important thing to me about you. I just find it acceptable now. Don't talk about people's weight. Don't ask about it. Don't compliment about it. I know the compliments thing is confusing for some people. I'm, I'm trust me on this one as your good old pal on the podcast. Yeah. And also for any of you out there who are saying like, who are cons, who can't, who cannot get the idea that thin is good out of your head. Small is good out of your head. I just say, look at all of the amazing Olympic athletes who do like strength sports, who do things like shot put, who do things like um, uh, uh, like hammer throwing? These people are unbelievably fit, yeah, and their bodies look extremely different yep. than people who do things like figure skating. Why? It's because the way that their body feels good and is at peak performance. Like you might not like it, but that's what peak performance looks like, <laughs> right? It's just going to be different. Why? Because their body is an instrument that is tuned to do something entirely different. And it's like saying like a saxophone isn't beautiful because it's not a trombone. (laughs) They are different things that do different things. And what health looks like for each of them is automatically going to look very radically different. And like trying to judge one by the other is insane. Mm -hmm. So like, and I want all of you out there who don't have bodies that conform to like what Instagram or whatever considers beautiful today. Like you need to turn that stuff off because it doesn't actually help you or inspire you. It traps you in other people's minds and ideas (laughs) and their own bodies. Oh yeah. And uh, I wish I could tell you too, like if you're on Ozempic and people call it cheating, um, they're just fat phobic and they think that fat people deserve to suffer to um, become acceptable. And that's all it breaks down to. Like, I I wish I could make it more complicated than that, but you're not cheating. Um, Tell everyone who tells you that it's cheating to go fuck themselves and to run naked, naked backwards through a field of dicks to quote, um, run the jewels. Yeah. Cause I can't, you can't willpower yourself out of diabetes any more than you can willpower yourself. <laughs> you know, out of a broken arm. It, it ain't how it works. Um, so, so Sarah, speaking of things that are delicious and uh, are should be enjoyed, 
Yes. Tell us about Metal Honey. What's going on at the Metal Honey Kitchen? Last day, officially the 31st of our um, uh, sale on old-fashioned scorpion sauce, which is a vinegar-based hot sauce. We've got uh, scorpion honey up there, and our Asian so-it-goes sauce are all on sale till the end of today. So go mm-hmm. get it. And help you use them to like up your cooking goals. Uh, yes. For 2024, because we all have delicious uh, restaurants we want to go to, but also delicious home cooked meals we want to make. And I think all of the metal honey products not only help you achieve those goals, but maybe come up with some new ones. Oh yeah. Especially like, I think one of my favorite genres of like, you know, healthier ish cooking is uh Thai and Vietnamese food. Like there are some incredibly delicious eat to feel full. I guess that'd be my one piece of advice is like, Feed yourself so that you feel full and you will end up eating a lot more vegetables and meat. And that's great. But like you should focus on that like nice full feeling because that's the opposite of diet feelings. And you'll lose more weight the more often you feel <laughs> good, good full. I promise. Please. Yeah, exactly. And you won't have the cravings for yeah. just to house an entire can of Pringles. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, find that at MetalHoney.com. Uh, if you're, I don't know, I know this is really emotional, but I just want to say like, I see you if you're really struggling with this emotionally. It's an incredibly fraught thing. And if you've ever been in a non-perfect body, you know how much your value gets boiled down to that one trait. There's nothing morally wrong with you if you're overweight. It's not because you're fat or it's not because you're lazy or like because you overeat. Like you're probably actually doing probably everything pretty right unless you unless you're super not but like you probably know but like you know so henry cavill the beautiful wonderful henry cavill uh has a famous hot tub scene in the witcher where he is very nude in a hot tub (laughs) and he dehydrated himself for two days to get that amount of muscle definition and while they were shooting it he said he felt like he was going to pass out like the whole time Mm -hmm. um and like, you know, the 300, uh, 300 that, that uh, Snyder movie, Zack Snyder movie, and uh, all the guys have these rippling abs and everything. The enti- the only thing I can think about that whole time is how dehydrated they I'm all. Hungry. Yeah, they all must have been. So what I'm saying is that like the media depictions here for men, for women are insane. Yeah. And they are actually the opposite of healthy. <laughs> That Henry Cavill, when he's just walking around feeling good about himself, is not dehydrating himself for days on end. Like, he does that purely for movies to be seen through a camera, yeah. not as a body to live in every day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, when people talk about, like, loving your body, it doesn't mean saying, oh, I will never make any changes, like, I am perfect the way I am. It's about caring enough about your body to do what makes it feel good as opposed to uh, trying to torture yourself into being what someone else wants you to look like. Body neutrality, baby. I'm all about body neutrality over body love because you're not going to love your body all the time because sometimes you get the shits and you're mad at it. But uh, Sometimes you stub your toe or hit your funny bone and then having a body sucks. It sucks dick, but you know, just feeling neutral about it. Everybody deserves to have other thoughts than the next thing you're going to put in your mouth or the next calorie you're going to burn. Like, yeah. and if you, you, des- you deserve more than that. And if you have have a partner who's like try, who's like gets really upset or says they won't be attracted to you if your body changes, get rid of that whole person. 
throw the whole person away. I was going to say spouse, but throw the whole partner away. Yeah, because guess what? Bodies change. Yeah. Uh, but you being awesome doesn't because we love our Stewies. You're all amazing, horny little monsters, and we wouldn't want you any other way. You're perfect. We love you. You're perfect. You're perfect. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us this week. This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.